Welcome to Triangle 411, the pulse that moves the Triangle world today. It's a vibrant collection of stories, medical breakthroughs, what's trending, social good, events, and boundless other adventures. A conversation pit of comedians, authors, chefs, sports figures, experts, the common and the uncommon. Here's the host of Triangle 411, Mary Innsbrucker. Hi, friends. Today we will be speaking with Madeline Seyfret, the Director of Communications for Special Olympics North Carolina. Starting as an intern for the organization, she has been employed as a staff member for over two years. Welcome, Madeline. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. Special Olympics, wow. As a whole, it's compromised of many stories across the world. With such a rich history, can you share a bit about the background of how Special Olympics as an organization got its start? So Special Olympics began as really a backyard summer camp for people with intellectual disabilities in uh, 1968 and has now grown to a worldwide movement. So what began, you know, in the 1950s and 1960s, uh, John F. Kennedy's sister, Eunice Kennedy Shriver, began to notice routinely how people with intellectual disabilities were excluded or treated unfairly. Uh, they had another sister, Rosemary, who had an intellectual disability, and the siblings all grew up playing sports together. So Camp Shriver got its foundation on those beliefs and interactions with her sister uh, from Eunice Kennedy Shriver, which led ultimately to the first International Special Olympics Games, which were held in Chicago in 1968. And today, you know, Special Olympics, it's a global movement, and we serve more than 6 million people in 200 countries. Wow, that's impressive. I didn't realize really it, the, the whole scope of that. Wow. And, you know, and there's kind of a side story about sometimes things happen for a reason. If perhaps they didn't have that in their family, this movement would have never came to be. So um, just some food for thought aside. Now, Special Olympics acts as the governing body of Special Olympics North Carolina. So since 1968, how has it continued to grow within the scope of this global movement? So back in 1968, which, you know, it's a while to think back, we actually had six athletes from North Carolina who competed in those very first International Special Olympics Games. And today, Special Olympics North Carolina, we're proud to be one of the largest Special Olympics programs in the world. We have nearly 40,000 athletes who are registered with us and they train and compete in year round programs in 20 different Olympic type sports. So um, we have everything from bowling, basketball, bocce, sailing to gymnastics, cheerleading, you name it. And uh, it really is a common misconception that Special Olympics only occurs once a year, once every two years, kind of like the standard Olympics. But we are really training and competing all year long. And those 40,000 athletes really never stop uh, what they're doing. I guess a lot of people do have that misconception. Um, I remember, <laughs> this is years ago, I don't even know if you were in North Carolina at this time, but North Carolina hosted the uh, Special Olympics World Games and athletes came from all over the world to compete. And it was just so inspirational, so moving. Um, I actually acted as the uh, media manager for 
volunteered to be the media manager for that event. And I'm going to tell you, it has stuck with me to this day, their attitude, the attitude of the athletes and their positivity uh, is something we can certainly learn from, uh, from them. But anyway, now let's go back to what you're talking about, because this is huge. That's a lot of manpower with programming going on year round. What community support makes this possible? We offer those 20 different Olympic type sports in all 100 counties within North Carolina. So every year we're hosting, um, you know, 8,000 sports practices and about 400 competitions across the state. And that's during, you know, a normal non-pandemic year. And Mm -hmm. we really rely on more than 40,000 volunteers to make this possible. And since athletes, you know, in our state are, or in Special Olympics in general, really are never charged a fee of any kind to participate in Special Olympics. So we rely on the generous support of those volunteers, you know, and individuals, businesses and foundations, as well as civic groups uh, for their financial support. Obviously, with 40,000 individuals participating, there, mu- there must be so many great stories of impact to note. And unfortunately, since we can't highlight all of them, I wanted to ask you, with, with the time you've been working with Special Olympics, can you speak to one of the stories that has impacted you personally? So I have the privilege of working with athletes on a daily basis. And actually, a few of those athletes are um, staff members with Special Olympics North Carolina. And that's really just such a great experience to get to know them on that level. Um, I've been to so many Special Olympics events, you know, in North Carolina, and I I could have 200 hours of content just on stories alone. Uh, But one story really does kind of stick with me. Uh, In January of 2020, I attended my first Special Olympics North Carolina Winter Games. So that features athletes competing in alpine skiing and snowboarding. And it was at that event that I met uh, Quentin Babatunde, and he is an athlete from the Guilford High Point area. And, um, you know, within Special Olympics, we talk a lot about what it means to have an intellectual disability. But at the end of the day, it's really not about what they can, can't do. It's about, you know, what they can do. And for, for me personally, Quentin really embodies that word ability. He is visually impaired and learned to ski completely blind and using mm-hmm. verbal cues from his coach. He relies on their directional signaling, you know, for the best ways to maneuver down the slopes. And just for me, without a visual impairment, looking at that slope, is terrifying. Mm-hmm. But Quentin, however, he he really is nothing short of courageous. Wow, that is very impactful. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't <laughs> ski, I can't ski. You know, I can see, but I can't ski. <laughs> so whenever I hear these kind of stories, it's just like amazing to me. It's like with any of the sports, you know, I am just not a sports person. I try to be, but I'm really not. And when I see, you know, all these, these folks and all the different things they're doing and the sports they're involved with, and I think I can't even do that, you know, and it's just amazing. Thanks for sharing that story. I appreciate that. And, you know, and you mentioned the pandemic a little earlier, and I hate that this monster spiders into just everything. Mm -hmm. It seems like almost every broadcast we talk about 
pre post all this kind of thing you know it, it's it's not just you know the pandemic affects the schools the pandemic affects business it's now here again the pandemic affecting these athletes so you know restricting their interactions which each other and the sports that they love so how have you seen athletes continue to benefit from their participation in special olympics so, you know, as I mentioned earlier, that common misconception about Special Olympics that we are only once a year, you know, we are all year long. And that said, this has really affected those athletes and their routines and how they practice sports and how they compete. So in the fall of 2020, we launched a 10-week at-home fitness program that we have called Partner Up Power Up. And for those 10 weeks, athletes join on weekly Zoom sessions to train. They have daily challenges to compete, and they continue to share their progress with their coaches and their fellow athletes. So we hosted another 10 weeks in the spring of 2021. And this week, actually, we are readying for another round, which will go through the fall into December. And we've had schools involved from around the state with school day Zoom sessions that are specially tailored for middle school and high school students. So it's really been great to see the whole state get engaged in this program. So now that Special Olympics North Carolina has the capacity to host some woot, yay, (laughs) upcoming (laughs) in-person events, how can the community get involved? So we are always looking for volunteers to be a part of our organization. And coming up in October, we actually have two major fundraisers that are both happening on October 30th that we are currently promoting. And I guess the first I'll address is the Amberley Charity 5K. So this event is being hosted by the Amberley Neighborhood Community in Cary. And each year, a nonprofit is selected by the Amberley Community Service Club to benefit from the proceeds of that year. And this year, that happens to be Special Olympics North Carolina. I'm hoping you'll tell us how to get involved with that. Yeah, absolutely. So it will be taking place at the Amberley Clubhouse in Cary on Saturday, October 30th. And registration will start that morning at 7.30 a.m. And there will be a fun run, which starts at 9 a.m. And with staggered start times after that for the three-mile and five-mile run. And all proceeds will benefit Special Olympics North Carolina. So there's a few different ways that you can sign up. You can either sign up on runsignup.com by searching the Amberley 5K charity race. Or if you want to visit the Special Olympics North Carolina website at sonc.net, it is linked on our homepage under the calendar section. Fantastic. And I know Gay uh, Purvis over there, she puts together a lot of these events. Sometimes they're fun, but I like these two when they're, they're not only fun, but they serve a purpose. So she does a really good job out there. So if you don't live in Amberley, can you still participate? Oh, absolutely. There is a virtual option as well, and that will be taking place throughout the week. Um, But really, everyone is welcome. If you want to drive in, you know, all participants, they are not limited by age, skill level, or ability. And uh, there will be division awards presented at the end. So come out with your Halloween costumes and Mm. ready to run. (laughs) See, again, gay purpose. She always puts some fun in it. Exactly. Um, so, you know, and this is just great. And this is the thing they always say about volunteering. You know, you, you usually get back more than you give because here you can have a fun time, you can wear a costume, and yet you're doing good for Special Olympics. So it's, it's a win-win. 
Um, you know what? I wanted to also ask you, though, you mentioned you have two events going on that day. Tell us about the other one. So if running isn't really your speed, uh, you might enjoy pulling a plane. We have our annual plane pull fundraiser, which also takes place on Saturday, October 30th at RDU International Airport in Raleigh. Uh, Registration that morning will begin at 8 a.m. and the event uh, begins at 9 a.m. So plane pull is a it's a unique team building activity really for groups and it requires participants to come together as a team to achieve kind of an odd task, which is to pull an airplane 25 feet. So five person teams will compete to see who can pull a 30,000 pound plane the fastest. So each five person team must raise a fundraising minimum of $800 total by the event date. Mm, Okay. Well, (laughs) that sure (laughs) sounds like an interesting one. Talk about, you know, this could be a bucket list for somebody. This could be like, you know, improve their LinkedIn page. (laughs) It's like a great picture. How many people can say they pulled an airplane and did good while doing it? I mean, (laughs) come on, guys, you want this on your LinkedIn. Um, So so tell us about, you know, registering and how that all is going to work. So participants must be at least 16 year old, 16 years old to compete, um, and you can access registration directly on our website again at sonc.net. And from there, you can build your fundraising page to share with family and friends on your social media to contribute to that fundraising goal of $800 with your team. And once you reach that goal, team captains uh, can schedule a 30-minute block on October 30th, and your team will have two opportunities to pull the plane in that time to get your fastest time. Wonderful. Keep up the good work, and thanks for being here today. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to mention another great organization that puts on a lot of charity events, including this Amberly 5K. And that organization is Fit and Able, a 501c3 nonprofit. Fit and Able's mission is to promote health, fitness, and wellness in Cary and surrounding communities. They pursue that mission through a variety of activities that include athletic events, training teams, sports clinics, blog articles, podcasts, ebooks, and more. In fact, I'm hoping to have them come on for a future podcast to give us more details. But in the meantime, let me finish telling you about them. They encourage athletes of all ages, skill levels, and abilities to participate and do their best. Fit and Able's events, teams, and programs are open to the general public. That's children, adults, seniors, families, and get this, sometime even pets. <laughs> I kid you not. They also sponsor kids from the Boys and Girls Club of Wake County to participate and learn the basics of healthy, active lifestyles. For more info, please visit fitandableproductions.com. That's F-I-T-A-N-D-A-B-L-E productions.com. Well, it's time to high five and say goodbye. Keep listening to grab some serenity via a garden, chase a storm with the pros, 
kick a ball with soccer great Jessica McDonald, laugh with award-winning comedian Craig Shoemaker, and so much more. Please be sure to subscribe and like us. I'm Mary Innsbrucker for Triangle 411. Today, dot, 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 be kind.